I think the base case is probably slow positive rent growth on the order of two or three percent. Certainly nowhere near the kind of booms that we saw as demand was exploding in the pandemic. I think a lot of the new inventory will have a cooling effect on prices. I don't think that demand will be so rock bottom that we'll actually see declines kind of when we go through um, the entire year. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. Rental prices have now dipped nationally for four straight months, and we closed out 2022 with full-year rent growth just shy of 4%, a rate that is slightly above pre-pandemic levels. To discuss these trends in the overall rental market, Igor Popov, the chief economist at Apartment List, is joining us for today's episode of Housing News. Igor and I dissect the rental housing market and data from the most recent national rent report by Apartment List. We also dive deep into the rental pricing and demand trends that began to form in the third quarter of 2022. These are the trends that are shaping Igor's predictions for 2023. I hope this conversation with Igor about the rental market brings value to you. So Igor, I had to start my Monday morning listening to our lead analyst, Logan Motoshami, who's a big 49ers fan. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. Just gloat. So here we are, Monday morning after the 49ers-Cowboys game. I'm in Dallas here in San Francisco. My friend, you had a better Sunday than we did. Well, well, um, this is where I need to start off with a deep confession, despite being in the Bay Area. I am still a Raiders fan, so I have uh, my 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 joy sailed to Las Vegas and was left there a long time ago. So uh, <laughs> not a good Monday morning for either of us. But as a Raiders fan, there's only so many so many Mondays in a year where I can I can gloat over someone. This is again not one of them. <laughs> Apparently, that's a, a Dallas phenomenon too. Well, Igor, we're not here to talk football. It is fun though. Uh, g- Going to talk about the the rental market and um, thrilled to welcome you to the Housing News Podcast. Igor is the chief economist at Apartment List. Igor, do you mind kind of telling us a little bit about your background and your interest in the the housing ecosystem before we kick into talking about some of the the analytics and predictions that you've developed through Apartment List? Absolutely. Um, I'm an economist by training and I was off, uh, you know, in, in, in the depths of, of graduate school doing my PhD. And, and at the time, really kind of as I was starting my research journey, really interested in housing markets, worked a lot on kind of housing policy, really interested in what was then sort of the emerging world of technology, online marketplaces, the kind of data that tech platforms can gather. Um, those used to feel like very kind of disparate fields and disparate interests, but I've been very fortunate kind of early in my career getting to play at the intersection of those. Um, and, and apartment list is no different. We're an online marketplace helping renters to find homes, helping property managers run their, run their businesses more efficiently. And um, it's, a, it's a fulfilling business. We get to find people homes they love, but as a data nerd, you know, we also generate a ton of fascinating information about what's happening in the rental market. Um, and we try to get that back to our renters so that they can make better decisions, our the property managers that we partner with so that they can be more strategic in what they're thinking about and also uh, inform how we're running our business. So um, this it's, a, it's sort of a dream job for someone who loves uh, being deep in housing data, um, especially at a, <laughs> at a 
at these wild times that we've been living through. It feels like every organization uses the title of chief economist a little bit differently. I noticed on LinkedIn that you also carry the title of head of product analytics. So like, where does your role start and stop? And like, how do you, you, how does your role as chief economist or as an economist by trade? I did notice you also have a creative writing background, which is a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice combination. (laughs) But like, how, how does that play into the apartmentless product and core business model? There's not a there's not a clear answer to the question because we're ultimately we're a fairly small a small company and so we all wear a lot of different hats. But there's a part of our organization that really focuses on kind of outside of the marketplace. What's happening in the broader rental market? How can we inform that and how can we learn about it to better inform the business? And then we have a part of our organization that's really inwardly focused thinking about how do we evolve our product? How do we test new features? How do we roll out new experimentation methodologies to make better decisions internally? So, uh you know, I, I don't stop being an economist at one point, but really most of, I, I think in the housing space, many chief economist roles really focus on that outward, um, uh, that outward facing perspective. You know, how can we reconcile and, and help understand what's happening outside of the walls of, you know, what used to be the office now is, you know, the, the virtual building with uh, how we can better make decisions internally. But uh, it, it really helps us to also meld that with, okay, as we change our product and we see renters reacting differently, that also informs how we think about the market and where renters are in their journey and, and where they are with their preferences in, especially in today's crazy market. So I, I wear a lot of hats as many, as many people do at companies of our scale, which is what makes it fun. It seems like one of the cool parts of housing data is like getting away from the academic environment where you're relying on other people's data and and reports. You're in a business and really everyone in some type of housing tech business is in a has a nature of producing data exhaust through 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 the product and being able to use the intelligence you gain through having users on your platform and um, and seeing the transactions and how does that kind of play into like a flywheel effect and does that impact why there's not necessarily like a clear line of like where your role starts and stops? Absolutely, um, you know the the whole fun of being close to the technology is that you know we see people generate data through their searches uh, and we can then learn from that and it's actually become much. <laughs> much more important in the last few years because you know when I first joined Apartment List in this role, the questions we were trying to answer were quite a bit more complex research questions because the world was moving a bit more slowly. We had a good sense of what was happening in the housing market in 2017, 2018. Um, and, and research shops, I think, were asking deeper questions about how urbanization was unfolding, how the last 10 years of housing were affecting uh, inequality, questions like that, how housing was affecting climate patterns. Then come March 2020, the questions got much simpler because the urgency got dialed up to a 10. And so the questions weren't, hey, can you come up with some new research design to help see something no one else had seen? The questions were, hey, what in the world happened last week? Uh, did everyone leave San Francisco? Uh, is anyone paying rent on April 1st, 2020? Uh, who's moving where and why? And so the demand for real-time data just skyrocketed with the pandemic. And I think what's surprised us the most is that it has not stopped because the market has kept veering left and right and really turning on a dime consistently several times throughout the pandemic. And so that's really, um, uh, you know, to some degree, it's simplified our research because uh, we're not out there searching for some holy grail in complexity we're trying to really get real-time information into the market, uh, but we're fortunate to be able to do that with 
real-time pricing and availability and your real-time uh, uh, renter uh, behavior data that, uh, that we see as people look for apartments and sometimes succeed and sometimes fail. And we can try to understand why in, in all those cases. But it's really been a shift with the pandemic in the, yeah, the urgency, because we, in 2019, we were playing around with 2017 census data and it was, you know, it sounds wild now, but it's current, right? It, it was a, the 2017 census was a good representation of the 2019 housing market. And that's, that was fueling a lot of great research. Now, uh, what happened two years ago is just uh, completely, you can throw it out the window because no one, no one even cares anymore. I love that observation. We, we've observed the same thing through our, through our newsroom and our, our business of like the data sources that we relied on in the past, not being as relevant as they used to be because the market has not been basic and boring and uh, a housing market should be a little more boring than the one that we've been in, but it's created a dynamic where we need pulse of the market and real time analytics to report on and share with our users and, and audience because they're using real time information to make decisions in in their businesses. How are the who who consumes like most of the the writing and research that you do at apartment list and like how does that influence decision making in in the industry? Right. It's really at this point a pretty diverse range of, of folks ranging from the property management companies that we partner with uh, as they're trying to understand where to invest. They're validating their pricing decisions, trying to understand um, uh, kind of where to go next. Also, we have a broad readership among kind of press and journalists that are also trying to report on on real-time happenings in the housing market. Uh, and increasingly, as one would expect, um, finance shops and investment firms are also kind of consuming any data they can find. Um, and, and, but I, I think, I think probably, you know, one of the things we actually focus on the, the most is, and, and one of the harder nuts to crack is how do you get this data in front of renters so that they can make better decisions? You know, they're trying to look at an apartment. Uh, I think they used to have a much better sense for what was a good deal in that market. It was a little easier to tell now with these wild swings in price, uh, you know, we try to get information in front of renters so they can understand, Hey, is this, where's this market trending? I'm seeing this. Is this too good to be true? Is this, uh, is this a good deal or, or not? Um, that, that's kind of a, a, something we focus on a lot in the, in the product. How do they understand kind of rent concessions as those might become a factor in the market again? Oh, we know a lot of people who've like, you know, got the too good to be true deal in New York city in 2021. And now are seeing, uh, Mark, markets come back to or rates come back to market rate and um you know having no option but to move because when rents move 20 30 40% when a concession falls off that's um yeah that's painful right new york city has really seen the most dramatic roller coaster ride of any market since since the pandemic started because new york city saw was part of this initial wave of coastal high priced markets where rents fell precipitously in 2020. So San Francisco in 2020 was down 25% in terms of rent, which was outrageous. New York City was down 20%. Seattle, Boston were down 18, 19%. But then in 2021, when the market started to boom, New York City had one of the strongest rebounds. So it was actually Tampa, uh, Tampa, Florida and New York City were fighting it out for number one and number two for fastest rent growth in 2021. So if you were a renter that cut it on the way down and had to renew on the way up, um, it it uh it was painful, and there were a lot of people reporting on that. Now, uh, New York is having one of the strongest cool downs as the market has has really cooled. So, uh, you know the uh, if if you want to see the trends in the pandemic kind of having played out uh, over the course of the last few years, 
you know, you can look at New York City as 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 a bit of a as a bit of a leader there. The rest of the country hasn't been quite as volatile, but they've certainly felt felt the swings. You feel for those those renters, and you know, I personally, <laughs> I was I was on a work call with someone who, um, you know, basically got their rent renewal notice while we were on the call, and you saw his face go white. <laughs> and uh, it's it's uh, it's been. It's been a tough time. It's been a tough time for a lot of a lot of renters, not just with the price increases, but with the uncertainty and, and kind of not not always knowing where uh, where the market's headed. Well, I want to come back and unpack some of the regional trends a little bit deeper, but let's like start at the high level. So we timed this conversation right on the back end of the release of the apartment list national rent report, which gives a, a very thorough view of some of the trends that we saw really start in 2022, some predictions for 2023 and and some regional observations. So do you mind starting us off with what like some of your headline observations were from this most recent national rent report and the trends that we started seeing play out in the second half of 2022? Absolutely. The, um, I think it's, it's helpful to sort of just rewind the context a bit because, um, it's hard to talk about 2022 and 2023 without talking about just the insane 2021 rental market where we saw demand just boom in, in, in a way that we really hadn't seen. Um, uh, uh, well, certainly I hadn't seen, but I think many, many even more seasoned uh, um, commentators had not, um, had not seen. So, you know, in a normal year, we see rents grow, you know, by normal year, I'm, I'm kind of, we're thinking of, let's call 2018, 2017, 2016, normal, you see rents grow two, three, four percent. Those those boring markets where you get to dig into the, the deeper trends and not monitor weekly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those boring times. You know, there were essentially no markets that were growing at double digit clips, with the exception of you know boom and bust oil markets. You know, like it might be that uh, you know someone discovers fracking in a in, in North Dakota in a market booms, but otherwise, you know, most places with more stable economies did not see. Uh, dramatic swings in rents. In 2021, throughout the course of the year, we saw rents grow nationally 17%. And that was representing, you know, a explosion of, of supply and household growth because so many people were moving out on their own, creating new households. Young people were creating new households, moving out from uh, the, the, the pandemic norm of, of, uh, of living with mom and dad and moving home and bunching together to create bigger households. We saw uh, 2 million new households created uh, in 2021. And they basically gobbled up all the available supply, almost, except for a sliver of, of vacancy, with um, you know a lot of the new construction being delayed in the supply shortages and the labor shortages that we were talking about throughout the economy. And the market just boomed. It was, it was, we were, we were trying to explain, you know, how hot the market was throughout 2022. Basically we've seen cooling throughout the year, but it's really intensified um, in the second half of the year. So we started uh, 2022 with, you know, 17% year over year rent growth. We're closing it out with 4% year over year rent growth. But Q4 was actually saw some of the, the, the quickest rent declines that we've seen in, in our data going back five years. Uh, you know, the last three months of rent declines in October, November, December were actually even stronger than the March, April, May COVID shutdown rent declines. And part of that is, is seasonal, but part of that is 
um, you know, I think I think just the rental market reflecting this broader story that I know your your listeners are familiar with it. Housing the housing demand has really cooled in the last six months. The rental market has been no exception. We have not seen that same household growth in 2022. It's essentially been flat, and I think a lot of um, a lot of renters are, are 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 facing quite a bit of uncertainty and reflecting that in in skittishness to to create new households to move out on their own, and that's that's being really reflected in um, in the rent prices that we're tracking. So we continue to see, you know. It was decelerating. Now it's just falling, falling rents. Though we expect it'll pick back up as as um, people start really moving again in in the spring. Vacancy is is coming back to the market for a more normal um, normal clip. And uh, some of the markets that were the hottest uh, rent booms that we saw throughout the pandemic, places like Phoenix, Vegas, are actually um, now negative in negative year over year rent growth territory. Um, so, so really we've seen a dramatic shift in the last 12 months. And I think the end of the summer really, um, kind of created that turning point where all of a sudden the market started to feel cold, kind of the, the really maybe silly analogy that I've used before is it's like stepping out of a sauna into an, you know, into the snow <laughs> at first it feels great because you're, you're, Oh, I'm so hot. This is nice. Then at some point it feels normal. That was probably around summer. Then at some point you say, wow, now I'm really, really freezing that's, I think, what the market has felt like in in this winter, and uh, the the January rent report just reflects reflects that we were down another 0.8 percent in terms of rents nationally, bringing it down to four percent year over year. Uh, but um, I think really the all eyes are on spring. What's going to happen when the market starts to wake up again, as as housing markets tend to do, kind of after the after the Super Bowl and into the spring months. Have you had the opportunity to do any overlays of like home the home prices and and rental price growth? Are you seeing any like leading or lagging indicators and and how those two um, data lines move in conjunction or or not? Right, right. The two tend to track fairly closely, kind of across across markets. So the places that boomed in in terms of their for sale prices tended to also um, have stronger rent growth. So. I think though the dynamics will be a little different kind of coming into 2023. We're still in this position where all eyes are on the Fed and their um, progressive rate increases. Those are, you know, really hitting homeowners, especially first time buyers, you know, most because there's this, it's, it's not just about cooling the economy. It's also the direct implication on affordability through mortgage rates. And so I think in times when rates are really shifting, home buyers are going to feel, feel the brunt of it. Um, renters will, feel the follow-on effects through several channels, right? The primary ones of, of the economy and wage growth, cooling, potentially, you know, changes in developers' willingness to take on new deals affecting future supply. But homeowners are really kind of feeling the tip of the spear, so to speak, of, of rising rates. But certainly renters are acting as if they're feeling the effects of the slowdown as well, even though the labor market continues to be pretty hot. Yeah. I mean, it definitely like a, a psychology uh, Im- impact there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think that um, one hypothesis going into this, you know, expected um, kind of menu of rate increases would have been as, you know, to say, okay, once wages cool down, once unemployment ticks up, then we'll see the rental market and rental demand really start to fall. That, that hasn't been the case, right? It's been the case that the, the rental market has cooled even before wage growth has really taken a hit before unemployment has taken a hit. 
there's a story about consumer confidence. There's a story about uh, just renter uncertainty throughout, you know, looking forward to this year. You know, it, it may very well be that the ultimately the fear of this recession may end up being worse than the recession itself, as many as many things we fear in life. That's real. That's really interesting. So, um, so coming back to some of the the headline numbers. So December we saw rent growth decline by by 08 percent, and that's that's kind of the most recent month of multiple months of declines. Like you mentioned, starting in was it August where we started to see the first month of decline. September was the first decline, which is which is, and at that point it kind of looked like a normal decline for um uh, for 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 that time. But then now we've been seeing you know stronger declines than we would expect just given the typical seasonality in the market. Which still leaves us with year over year numbers that are like higher growth than we saw pre pre pandemic levels, right? That's right. And that's partly because 2022, you can kind of split it up into a, a still pretty hot but cooling first half of the year and then a cold second half of the year. So in aggregate it looks normal, but we're kind of averaging out two interesting and unique times in that trend. So I think as we go on, we'll see we'll see the year over year numbers continue to fall. A very similar dynamic to the to the the home purchase market. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things that we're seeing through our Altos research data and uh, HW acquired Altos back in in December, and it's been a lot of fun digging into their data set and the the insights that Mike and his team bring to the market. But we've we've been looking at the the single family rental data pretty pretty closely, and we saw that rents peaked last June, and the last several weeks we're, we're, we think we might have seen a bottom, and we've seen prices start to tick up a little bit in the single family rental market. Does that tie out with the broader rental market and uh, apartment and like non single family rental? I think it does. Yeah, we saw the steepest decline in our November data. We're still seeing declines, but we're seeing you know a more gradual decline. And essentially, I think it makes sense if you imagine kind of a landlord or a property manager. You know, they have some units that they weren't able to fill during high season. They maybe cut a little bit in October. Okay, by by the time November comes around, you're thinking, okay, I really want to get this unit filled. It's unlikely that I'll get you know the the demand or people coming through to look around Christmas time, okay, let's really, let's price it to lease. And I think that's what, that creates that normal seasonality. That seasonality this year is just coupled with declining demand. But I think we should start to see that incentive start to dissipate a little bit as we get into um, the next coming months, especially as we get into spring. And then the question will be, are rents growing normally or are they flat or are they growing um, at a reduced clip? And I think that's where, that's where we can get into questions around what 2023 will will actually look like. But I do think things will start to look like they're turning around fairly soon. But the question is, will that turnaround be significant? That's the biggest challenge in housing data right now. And like the the charge of every analyst, economist, reporter, commentator is differentiating between seasonality and market cycles and consumer confidence impacts, like everything that's like kind of shaking this market at the same time. And we've been all of us have been saying for years that, or last two years, that year-over-year data is going to be hard. Comparing 2021 to 2020 is not that relevant. 2022 to 2021, not that relevant. And we're going into the same dynamic this year. Um, so how, how has that changed the way that you compare and think think about year-over-year, month-over-month, or week-over-week information? Yeah. It's so funny. Like At some point, I think a couple months ago, I'd said that if, if I wasn't knee-deep in this data as my full-time job, 
I would be so confused right now. <laughs> you know, if you were just coming in off the street, like, oh, I wonder what's happening in rent data. You know, you're seeing month over month declines, but strong year over year rent growth. And by the way, we haven't even talked about how the rent component of the official inflation numbers is still booming, right? <laughs> we can talk about why that is. So you say, oh, the official government numbers are on fire. These private data sources um, with real-time data are yelling about a cooling market and the year-over-year numbers in the rental market still seem strong. So it's basically, you can almost, you know, uh, I think if you weren't careful, you could almost cherry pick any story you want, but you're absolutely right that the, you know, we know that year-over-year numbers depend as much on what happened a year ago as what is happening now. It helps us to sort of contextualize what is happening at this time of the year and at this cycle, but you really need kind of the full picture. And right now it is notable and and an important economic storyline that the official consumer price index rent numbers are still very hot there that, that's a, a lagging indicator that hasn't really incorporated the cooling of the market into what feed into top line inflation so that's another storyline we're watching in hey folks we're gonna take a quick pause from today's episode to talk about mortgage quality control with a message from the official enterprise loan quality partner of the housing news podcast, QC Ally. QC Ally has launched a brand new web series called Conversations About QC. Hosted by QC Ally's chief innovation officer, Kristen Broadley, this web series spotlights leaders in the mortgage industry speaking with Kristen about how lenders are gaining a competitive advantage by driving lending clarity and certainty. And I really encourage you to check it out at Conversations qcally.com. We'll drop this link in the show notes to make it easy for you. As I've mentioned before, QC and risk management doesn't have to be a cost center. It can unlock revenue for you. Check out conversations.qcally.com for the QC Ally web series, Conversations About QC. And back to today's episode. I don't even, I think it was December when Jerome Powell finally gave nod like that they recognized the lagging nature of housing prices and rent prices on, on CPI. Um, I think the industry was watching that like, Hey, you know, like this is changing, right? It's not gonna, <laughs> this is not gonna keep, stay as hot as it is or hot as it is on a 12 month lagging, uh, measure. Absolutely. And I mean, that's again, just to, um, not to sort of, glorify you and I, but you know, I feel like it used to be maybe that housing felt like a little more of a niche, interesting, oh, there's some economists are interested in housing. That's one niche part of the economy. Now it's, you know, Jerome Powell presenting real-time rental data as part of an understanding of where the macro economy is headed. It's, it's just amazing how, I think we've known for a long time how central housing is to the broader web of the economy, but I think it's it's really been kind of elevated to front page news by way of a lot of these really nuanced conversations. And yeah, that was a very kind of interesting moment where the Fed started very explicitly talking about this lead and lag. And and, and it's been great because there's been new research to come out of that. We now have kind of an index that researchers at the Federal Reserve and Bureau of Labor Statistics have created that is basically a repeat rent index similar to the kinds that Apartmentless creates, but for the CPI sample that feeds into the official inflation estimates. So we have a much better understanding of this relationship than we did even six months ago between you know, what's happening with market rents, which change on a dime, and what's happening with the average rents 
that Americans are paying at any given time, which changes very slowly because most people don't renew their lease every month. And in fact, they only feel changes in the market potentially a year from now, potentially two years from now as they finally renew their leases. And so that's what the official inflation statistics are measuring. And it reflects that, you know, if the market cools, a renter might not even know until they start searching again in a year. But in terms of trying to steer the economy, you know, we want all the real time data and understanding of the effects of rising rates that we can get. So that creates a really interesting tension. Interesting. All right. So Igor, before we jump into 2023 predictions, I want to come back to like developer sentiment. And you you mentioned in 2021, when the market turned back on, a lot of the inventory got, got sucked up, but we were faced with labor challenges and really high building materials cost and, you know, some overall like trepidation in, in the market. So what what happened in 2021 and 2022 that impacted new rental inventory coming to market? And how do you see kind of the last six months of 2022 influencing inventory that we'll see coming coming forward? Yeah, um, it's a really important question. But the key thing to remember is that it takes a long time to build big apartment buildings. <laughs> it takes a long time to get them permitted, approved, constructed, and leased. And so that's been made even longer because there have been so many materials that have been short. There have been, you know, everything from permitting offices to people to work construction sites, you know, have been, there have been shortages just throughout the economy. And so these timelines have even been extended. So we're seeing kind of what's happening with new construction now. And then we're seeing the shadow of what developers were able to finance and able to build, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, when two years ago, demand was booming. And so there were the multifamily construction pipeline really grew as a result. We've been waiting and waiting for kind of the supply response to the COVID demand boom. And it's finally on our doorstep. I think the many are expecting that 2023 will be a 40 year record in multifamily construction. There are almost a million multifamily units in the pipeline as many as half of those may come online in the coming year. You know, that's not to say that builders aren't worried about rising rate rates. That's not to say that there's not going to be a slowdown, but everything that was permitted in the boom times is going to finally come online now. And that's going to be a significant story that's really going to affect renters that are especially at the higher end of the um, the income range. Most new buildings, as we know, are priced at the top of the market, but it's going to affect prices throughout, but it's really going to give some higher income renters, a lot of options in many, many cities um, as we go into 2023. I mean, that's a great dynamic for high-end renters, but that's a kind of a, I mean, to me, that signals a pretty scary market for multifamily owner operators, bringing a lot of inventory to market at the same time, probably underwritten with assumptions that rates would be more similar to 2021 than the rate environment we're in right now. And if they're on variable or bridge, you know, that's, bring a little nervousness. Absolutely. You know, I think that the supply story, we, we kind of know what the supply story is going to be, right? It's going to be, there's going to be a lot of new supply and a lot of competition with the renters really, I think, back in the driver's seat. And certainly I think concern over ability to, to price where properties wanted to, ability to fill all the units that they want to in lease ups. I think a lot of the uncertainty is really on the demand side. There's a version of the world where renters continue to be very skittish with low confidence and see all these units and say, no, I'm going to take my accounting degree and still work from home and live with mom and dad. I don't want one of these new apartments. Or there's a world where demand really starts to bounce back as we start to 
you know, maybe feel a little bit of the feathers of the soft landing and maybe the recession fears were a little overblown and the class of 2022 uh, finally has inventory to seek out uh, in terms of college grads and demand starts to really bounce back. Those are two very different worlds. I think we know that there's going to be a lot of supply, but whether or not renters will really go out and, and form new households as a result, that's really where all the uncertainty is. And I think that's where a lot of owner operators and analysts are going to be watching kind of top of funnel demand, even will Google trends start to <laughs> turn for apartment searches, these sorts of questions. And I think that's the big unknown, whereas the supply story, I think, because we can see the pipeline coming, um, coming down the tracks, we sort of we have a good handle on that. All the arguments are going to be about the demand side and whether or not renter demand is going to bounce back and how strong it will. Interesting. Well, I mean, that kind of tied together one of your key 2022 observations of more options for renters as this inventory came to market and continues to come to market and kind of flirted into one of your big 2023 predictions is renters are back in the driver's seat. So um, talk us through what you anticipate for next year, kind of the, the, the full picture. Yeah, I think lots of new supply at the high end all over the country, particularly multifamily. That will probably, as you kind of hinted at, will lead to you know some pricing concessions. I think we'll start to see rent specials come back. That was a big story in 2020 in the um, early COVID shutdown era. That's a story that disappeared in 2021, but I think we'll we'll come back. And then there will be some other interesting storylines as well. You know, that one as I mentioned is just the in aggregate will renter demand bounce back. But I think there's a big question about kind of the distribution of heat across the landscape of U.S. economic geography. And and I think there's still a big question around kind of how the remote work revolution will shake out as it meets its first recession (laughs) or kind of kind of a post-COVID recession. Assuming there is one, you know, we're we're up to estimates from various researchers and now now in the census or about 30 percent of of days are worked from home. About a little under 30% of workers are in hybrid environments where they're partially in an office, partially working remotely. And I think many firms are still in limbo around whether or not they need or want people or are able to get their, their employees to return to the office. A lot of workers are still, you know, even kind of three years after we started this boom in remote work conversation, still unsure about whether they can fully untether from that job-rich labor market where they live, or whether or not they can maybe move a little further out because they only need to be in on Thursdays and Fridays, or whether they can just move back to where their family is in a cheaper cheaper labor market. I think the question about what will happen to hybrid work and hybrid workers will be a really interesting and important one for where the the rental demand really goes. At the end of last year, surveyed a nationally representative set of renters. We found that the ones that were in hybrid work environments that are in the office part of the time, but not mandated there five days a week, they are far more likely to be planning to move in 2023 than those that are fully in the office, or even those that are fully remote. And I think that there's a big question about what they will be allowed to do by their employers, what they will want to do and where they'll want to live. And it's not clear that they all want to be, you know, remote doesn't mean wanting to be in a remote destination. Like, you know, not all remote workers want to be on a, an abandoned mountaintop or a ski town or a beach. Many of them want to be in urban areas. Actually, some of the biggest booms in remote work have been in big job centers with lots of traffic, you know, LA, Atlanta, 
New York City. One of the reasons New York City bounced back so quick. People weren't back in offices, but people still wanted to be in New York City. Absolutely. And so I think that's going to be a very interesting storyline. But I think ultimately what will happen is that renters will feel more confident in their work arrangements because hybrid tends to be winning out over a fully remote work environment. I think what it'll really do is continue to create booms for really suburbs and exurbs that are near major job centers. If hybrid wasn't the kind of modal way of working for very flexible office spaces, people might completely disengage from the really job-rich hubs that were really built out in the US over the last 10 years. But I think places that are 30 miles away, 40 miles away from that job, all of a sudden become a lot more attractive. You only need to be in a couple of days a week. You can time that. Um, and, and I think that's going to continue a trend that we've seen throughout the pandemic, which is you know, the urban centers have seen the weakest rent growth, even in the boom. And then the further out you go in concentric circles around um, central business districts and urban centers, the stronger you see uh, rent growth. And I think that will that will continue if hybrid really wins out after this kind of um, 2023 battle in remote work. Are you seeing developers start to respond to some of those trends? And you just mentioned how long the lead time is from uh, purchasing land, uh, permitting to construction, the lease up. I mean, we're talking, what's what's that timeline usually? Three, three years yeah. from like land identification to lease up? I think, yes, you know, there's certainly a push to more suburban development, but there's still massive limitations on zoning if we're talking about multifamily development. And so there's only a certain a certain amount, depending on the market, that developers really have flexibility in, in where they can in where they can develop. And so that, that plays a role too. So that being the big constraint, but I think conditional on that, yes, we are seeing more kind of development and interest outside of city centers, which is, which is the, the flip story from what we were talking about in 2019, 2018. I think, um, you know, now, now that of course feels like a million years ago, but in 2019, one of the, I thought one of the most interesting stories was how much money was flowing back into urban centers, central business districts, how much high-end development was happening in downtown areas. Um, and there was, there was a, and just how much, you know, income was flowing back to the very center of cities. It basically the, the richest part of town shifted from being 12 miles out from the center to the center in the 2010s. And now I think we're, we're seeing kind of that, that get flipped again. So there's probably a natural pendulum swing there that happens every 10, 20 years, but that's, um, I, I think the pandemic has really accelerated that. <laughs> All right. So two of your big qualitative predictions are renters are back in the driver's seat and remote work is facing a test here. Let's put like a quantitative bend to this. What do you anticipate at a kind of a national level for for rent growth or or rent decline in, in 2023? I think by the end of 2023, we'll see, you know, I, again, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of risk to the upside and to the downside. Um, uh, and depending on who you are, you might see the upside and downside as different cases, right? But I think the base case is probably slow positive rent growth on the order of two or 3%. Certainly nowhere near the kind of booms that we saw as demand was exploding in the pandemic. I think a lot of the new inventory will have a cooling effect on prices. I don't think that demand will be so rock bottom that we'll actually see declines kind of when we go through um, the entire year. When we look for kind of correlations between the single family home ownership market and the the overall rental market, do you think that any of the dynamics that are 
playing out right now in the single family ownership market with kind of record low inventory, still uncertainty of rates that are, you know, as of today, bouncing around six and a quarter. How did those dynamics impact the rental market? And are those factors you're taking into account as you think about your predictions for 2023? Absolutely. I think housing demand has to go somewhere. (laughs) So kind of from first principles, you know, that if families are having a hard time entering home ownership, they're likely either staying in the rental market or living with family and friends or doing something else, right? And so I think part of the demand for single family rentals, higher end rentals are coming from families and really kind of older millennials that are further on in their careers, further on in their income growth trajectory, but are still priced out of home ownership given where they want to live or or how much savings they've been able to accumulate. And so First time home buying is a is a pressure release valve for the rental market that has been, you know, really clogged up because of all these 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 factors that you just mentioned. You know, that doesn't mean, right, that sometimes I say that and people interpret it as, oh, well, when rates go up, we should start to see rents boom. Well, no, there are other factors at play, right? And and primarily uh, a cooling economy is going to cool all markets. But um I think there's certainly going to be continued pressure for especially kind of those younger families, elder millennials that are that are going to stay in the rental market because the options aren't there in the for sale market. Uh, and so, you know, I realized that first time home buyers must kind of hate housing analysts at this point, right? Because it's, you know, the story used to be you can afford it, but there are no homes. Now the story is there are homes, but you can't afford it. <laughs> it feels like a lose-lose, but certainly the many households who want to buy or who maybe were in a position even to buy with their savings and the amount they'd accumulated in in savings and with where interest rates were, if they maybe were able to to buy at the start of 2022, but were waiting for that inventory to come back, now you know they they, they can't afford that same home, and so that's a huge factor. I am curious too about this story of the homeowner incentives too for those people that have to move. I think there's some rumblings in the industry about probably more. Um, homeowners choosing to rent out their home rather than selling their home if they can afford it, if they don't need that equity to purchase their new home. If they're locked in with a 2.75, 30-year fixed rate mortgage, it's, um, if, you can, if you can break even on rent, that's a big wealth creation opportunity. Exactly. Especially if you feel that we're in a down cycle in home values, depending on where you are, that might be a big factor. I think many people are seeing their, their home values fall faster than their potential rent earnings on their property. And so I think that that creates maybe some opportunities for new supply, but it's really hard at this point to get a sense of how how big that effect might be. Interesting. So as we as we kind of move toward the end of the conversation, Igor, I want to spotlight some of the regional trends that you're seeing. And we we talk we've this conversation has been largely focused at a national level, but we we all know that we don't really have one national housing market. We are <laughs> a bunch of different regional markets that that don't always move in lockstep. So what are some of the most pronounced regional trends that you saw in 2022 or that you anticipate for next year? Right. I think one of the big trends in 2022, which will continue into 2023, was really the cooling of the Sunbelt. You know, the the Sunbelt and especially markets like Phoenix and Vegas you know, they don't, um, they're not casual about their real estate boom and bust cycles. They're, they're um, always loud. They're, they're always loud, right? So when the market was booming, Phoenix, Vegas were among the top rent growth markets in our data. Now that the market is cooling, they're on that swing down. And I think that's happening across uh, many Sunbelt markets that have this big run up in rents and then have hit somewhat of a ceiling, what demand can support. 
the Sunbelt boom is is sort of a, I guess it's a generation long story, but in terms of under a microscope, we're really seeing kind of a cool down in rents in many of the markets that we've been trumpeting as the highest rent growth cities throughout the pandemic. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, we're seeing the Midwest markets really come out ahead in terms of year-over-year rent growth right now. And it's not because they're necessarily booming, but it's a bit of a tortoise in the hare kind of kind of game that kind of between the Midwest and the Sunbelt. You know, the Sunbelt got off to this tremendous lead with a big boom and now is kind of plateaued. And the Midwest has just kept kind of humming along. They're pretty stable in their rent growth. So when the Sunbelt was booming 20%, the Midwest was growing 10% in terms of rents. People were saying, oh, you know, the the Rust Belt is lagging, you know, that that's not where the jobs are. But then now, you know, the Sun Belt isn't growing and uh, the the Midwest is still growing you know, five, six, 7%. Um, they're emerging as some of the leaders in terms of rent growth right now, largely due to the stability of those of those markets and 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 those economies. Um, uh, they they weren't the they weren't the ones leading the charge of the rent run-up, and they're not leading the charge in the in, in declining demand. And so, actually, now seven of our ten top rent growth metros are in the Midwest, with um, Indianapolis, Louisville, Kansas City leading the pack. And that's that's a new story. That wasn't that, those were not markets that anyone was talking about in terms of um, uh, rent growth booms uh, a, a year ago. Migration patterns were one of the big drivers of the the Sunbelt story. Are we seeing those migration patterns change, or is this really just the lag catching up in the Midwest? I I think that um, it's it's really interesting. The one of the things that we've seen throughout the pandemic is that the scale of migration has really changed, but many of the channels continue to be pretty similar, right? So, for example, LA is feeding a lot of Phoenix demand, and it continues to do so. But whether it's whether that channel is booming, it doesn't disappear. It continues to be a strong channel, um, but but it it doesn't necessarily um, fade. So you know, New York to Miami is another one, and many more kind of uh, uh, regional ones as well. So I think that um, I, I think it really is kind of catch up in terms of stability. Uh, I think that um, you know one thing that we've seen in terms of migration is just kind of more work from home um, friendly economies have really seen far more churn, you know, both in terms of people coming in and in terms of people leaving Um, the, the Midwest is not on the kind of the, 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 the leading edge of, 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 of that trend. And so I think that, um, you know, the, uh, the markets that have been affected most dramatically by rising interest rates are, are markets where economies tend to support much longer term investment, right? If, if you think of interest rates as just the cost of waiting for your money um, in, in economies that, um, that, that don't rely on 10, 20 year bets for, for economic growth, you're going to have a lot more stability and, and, and you're going to weather a downturn more. You know, maybe the Bay Area is sort of an extreme version of that where a lot of economic growth is built on uh, very long-term investment. And, and of course, rising rates make that, make that more costly regardless of kind of the, the, um, the attitudes on the ground. So, uh, it'll, it'll be, I think those trends will continue into 2023. Um, but, uh, again, I think the X factor will be a little bit of this, this, this remote work question and whether or not we'll see a, a shift in, in sort of the, some of the battle lines between employers that want their their people back in the office 
and um, and and maybe maybe you know workers with a little less bargaining power than they had in the era of the Great Resignation when um, uh, and and in such especially in sort of the the the, the white collar job end of the spectrum, uh, but um, the, I think I think it'll be we're we're kind of seeing some of what will play out at least in the first half of 2023 already. Very interesting. Which which side of the remote work argument are the the multifamily like owner operators on? What what do they want to see play out in this in this narrative? I think it really depends on where they are. You know, I, I don't I don't think that I, I do think it's important, or at least my perspective is that the uh, again remote work doesn't mean people are going to leave necessarily New York, Atlanta, Miami, and and move and and fully spread out across small towns in the country, evening out, you know, economic development throughout the U S people will, proximity will still have a premium, but the part of the proximity premium that was really attached to jobs and commuting, I think, I think has, has largely dissipated. And so the, the question is, well, what do people want to be close to? Um, uh, you know, there was a part of the pandemic where people wanted to be far away from everyone and everything, that that made made sense, and some of the early markets that boomed in 2020 reflected that. Um, but I don't think that's the long term um, uh, uh, the, the long term play for 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 many renters. They want to be close to something. The question for for developers and investors is, what do renters want to be close to? Um, for some people, it might be might be jobs. For others, it might be different kinds of amenities and. Um, I think I think just the remote work question is 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 going to affect the 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 job proximity premium, but but there will be other proximity premiums that that renters will latch onto and pay for. All right, interesting. So all eyes on remote work as we uh, try to digest the 2023 rental market. Igor, thank you so much for your time today. R- really appreciate you uh, teaching us about what you've learned in your deep work around the the rental market. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was great to great to join, and hope you have a wonderful wonderful week. Really appreciate being on. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the housing news podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.